You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome again to another episode of the Revision Path Podcast. I'm Maurice Cherry, and we've got a lot to go over before this week's interview. First off, thank you to everyone who voted and commented for our two presentations for South by Southwest 2015. They'll announce the first round of programming sometime in October, so fingers crossed that our two presentations are chosen. I don't think I mentioned this last week, but our t-shirt campaigns are back. Head on over to revisionpath.com and click on store, and you'll be taken to our Teespring storefront. We have three shirts for sale, $20 each, in men's and women's styles. This is another limited edition run of shirts, so hurry and order yours today. Also, we're looking for guest bloggers for the Revision Path blog, as well as a few interns to work with us for the next few months. If you're passionate about design, technology, entrepreneurship, or a subject that you think the Revision Path audience would like, then send us a pitch. Go to revisionpath.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and click on Write for Us. For you college students, you can intern with us and get behind-the-scenes access to Revision Path, and best of all, it's remote, so you can work from anywhere in the world. Interns are also eligible to earn college credit. Visit the internships page on our website for more information and apply today. Internships begin on October 1st, so there's not a whole lot of time. This episode is brought to you by MailChimp, the leading email marketing software for designers, developers, and small businesses. We use MailChimp for our weekly and monthly newsletters, and it's a breeze to get started. Join today at MailChimp.com and sign up for a free account. Tell them Revision Path sent you. This episode is sponsored by Betwix. How many of you squirm at the thought of networking? Same here. Their people person over at Betwixt. I've met Erin, she's really awesome. And they desire a more organic method of growing a design business. They believe that the key is relationship. And they've created a free program for folding, connecting into your business one person at a time. It's a 21-day challenge based on the principles taught in Cultivate, which is a course on developing relationships for the indie designer. And everyone who completes the challenge will receive the entire course for free. Learn more about Cultivate at betwixt.is forward slash teaching. Betwixt, the applied art of connection. This episode is also sponsored by Portique, a portfolio review initiative designed to expose multicultural students pursuing design-related careers to design professionals who mirror their cultural and ethnic identity. If you're in the Columbus, Ohio area and this sounds like something of interest to you, head over to creativecontrolfest.com and register today to schedule your review. Portiques will be given on Saturday, September 13th from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. Let Portique help you build a portfolio that will help you with your job search and prepare you for the journey of a career. Now on with the show. This week I spoke with Kimberly Bryant, founder and executive director of Black Girls Code. Here we go. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Kimberly Bryant. I am the founder and executive director of Black Girls Code. We are a nonprofit organization based in the San Francisco Bay Area with a focus on introducing girls from underrepresented communities to computer programming and technology. So we start with girls as young as six and we go all the way through 17 with a series of workshops and programs that we run primarily after school to just give them an overview of the technology industry, to give them skills and training, as well as connect them with mentors. And now you said that it's it's centered in San Francisco, but I mean, I've seen Black Girl Code hackathons 
pretty much all over the place. Like, how many cities are these hackathons held in? We're currently um, in, we're a chapter-based organization. So although our headquarters okay. is in San Francisco, we have several volunteer-run and operated chapters in different cities across the U.S., as well as one in Johannesburg, South Africa. But we're currently in seven different cities now, so that includes the Bay Area, but we also have chapters in Las Vegas, in New York, Chicago, Detroit, Memphis, Tennessee, and Atlanta, Georgia. We also do some pilot programs in a couple of cities. So we have a pilot currently in Dallas and a pilot program in Miami. So we're continuing to expand our reach as we really try to grow the the organization and reach more students. Now, of course, people know you most from Black Girls Code, but let's talk about the work that you did leading up to founding the organization. You started off as an engineer for Westinghouse. Is that correct? Oh, yes. That's, that was a long, very long time ago. But that was my, <laughs> I think people these days probably don't even, haven't even heard of Westinghouse for the most part. But in my career, um, I went into electrical engineering, was my focus in college with a minor in CS and a minor in math. And I really started my career in the high tech electronics and electrical equipment industry with a job at Westinghouse Electric. Um, And after I left that, I went into more of the chemicals engineering field. I worked at DuPont for several years, and then I made my transition into pharmaceuticals and went to work on the East Coast for a large pharmaceutical company and spent a lot of my career in that whole East Coast corridor, pharmaceutical corridor, before I moved out to the Bay Area eight years ago to make a transition into the biotech industry. But definitely with my focus being in electrical engineering, my career path was not so much on the technology side for most of my career, but really in the plant engineering and core engineering departments and many of these major manufacturing companies. Was it easy to make those transitions between those different disciplines of engineering? Well, I've always really stayed in the plant engineering group or the core engineering group and departments in all the companies that I've worked for until the very end uh, when I was at the biotech company here in the Bay Area called Genentech. And our Mm -hmm. group was really more of an IT group. We really ran all of the processes and the applications that really supported the engineering department and it was determined that our group was really more computer IT focused and it should be a part of the IT department and so I literally went into the IT group kicking and screaming because I really considered myself a traditional engineer and had always Mm -hmm. worked in engineering departments so the transition at that time uh, was very difficult for me just personally, but it wasn't hard from a career standpoint, since that was, you know, part of my background all along. But all the different industries that I worked in, you know, having that core functionality and engineering really helped to make those transitions pretty seamless. And it was just really about learning the new business as opposed to learning a new skill. Now, was technology and I guess, you know, engineering by extension, was this something that you kind of always wanted to do, like starting as a young girl? How did you get that that spark to do this? Oh, not at all. So I often tell people that if I really had my druthers, I would probably be a lawyer as opposed to an engineer because it was always my dream 
um, to go to law school, like from an early, early age. And it wasn't mm-hmm. until getting into my high school years, so like 10th and 11th grade, where having this strong background and focus in math and science, my guidance counselors really encouraged me to pursue a career in engineering. Okay. And, and then from there, you went on to, uh, to Vanderbilt. You say you were a dual degree major with electrical engineering and math. How was your time there? My time at Vanderbilt was very difficult in terms of my engineering pathway. You know, I went when I started in the mid-80s. It was kind of a high point. And so if you look at the, the graphs for women entering STEM fields in college, that was a peak within mm-hmm. the mid-80s. And that's the time I entered college. It was, but it was still difficult for me because at the university that I attended, there weren't very many students of color in the engineering department. So I was the only female student of color in my class, in the electrical engineering class, for the whole time that I was there. Oh, wow. There were some upper class women, just a very, very few, a handful of us, and, and a few of them that became like my best buddies. But other than that, there were not that many of us in, in the School of Engineering. And so that made it difficult, a really difficult path. Was the Westinghouse position kind of your first big job out of college? It was. It was. And I think one of the things for me is I found in my career that that role was definitely not a highly technical role. I was a sales, I was in a sales engineering position. So I did not spend as much time really utilizing um, the technical skills that I gained from college. So I very mm-hmm. quickly moved into a technical role with DuPont, which was a core engineering department role. I did a lot of design work. That's where I really feel I honed my craft as an engineer, and that laid the foundation for everything that I was to do later on in my career. Now let's go back to Black Girls Code now. Doing something like, like I do for a vision path, I understand the the importance of showcasing and recognizing people of color in this industry, particularly black people, as it relates to the technology. And I'm sure that you've received criticism from people about black girls code because some will say that the focus should be on all girls coding and not, you know, just black girls coding. What do you say to those critics that say things like that? Well, I think that I do get that a lot. I do get that a lot, a lot less now, but I did get it quite a bit in the beginning of mm-hmm. our, our, when we first started in 2011. And I think the story for me is pretty easy sell because all I have to do is really point to the numbers and point to the charts. And especially now that we have this real-time data from all of these various companies in the Valley showing their diversity numbers, it makes a real very clear value proposition for the reason that Black Girls Code exists. But the way that I really answer that in a nutshell is to say that although women are very, very few of us in the technology community and in the technology space, there are even fewer women of color. So if you look at the numbers, there's about 15 to 18% of women receiving computer science degrees Whereas if you compare that to African-American women, that number is less than 3%. And for Latinas, that number is less than 1%. So if you look at us, comparatively speaking, 
we're the least underrepresented demographic group in the technology space, both in going through college as well as when we look at the careers in every single report that came out over the last two, three weeks from all of the major technology companies, mm-hmm. people of color, particularly African-Americans, were the least represented in terms of the technology workforce. And that didn't even go into the detail of how many of those were African-American women. So I can only imagine with African-Americans overall topping out at 2 or 3% in these positions, the number of women of color has got to be lower than 1%. Now, is there a, a mentoring aspect that sort of also goes along with Black Girls Code, or is it strictly just on, on sort of showing them the tech skills that they need to get into the industry? Oh, absolutely. Mentoring is a key core functionality in our program. We do that in a couple of ways. We spend a lot of time exposing the girls to technology careers, both in the program and outside the program. So we have a parents-focused aspect where we bring in panelists to both speak to our parents as well as our students about careers in technology. We also try to do a lot of off-site visits where we go and visit technology companies like Google or Facebook um, or ThoughtWorks, Inc., or just to really show them up close and personal what it would feel like to work at a technology company. So some Mm -hmm. mentoring comes into play in that way as well. Then in the classroom, most of our volunteers come from the tech sector. So the teachers that are leading the classes, the volunteers that are the technical assistants, even the non-technical assistants in our programs all come from technology companies and and both large and small. So the Mm -hmm. mentoring that goes on, you know, that real-time one-on-one mentoring is key to really getting our girls that exposure. Several months ago, I talked with Maurice Woods, who's the uh, the founder and the executive director of the Interact Project, which is also out there in the Bay Area. And one thing that he told me about the people that come out and sort of help volunteer, he was saying that it's very hard to get, and he works mostly with, you know, design and designers, but he says it's really hard to get sort of other black designers to come out and sort of talk to the kids. Are you finding that it's hard to get other black people in technology to come out and speak at your group? Not at all. So one of the things that we find, and also it's odd that I've even had, you know, we've been hiring and some of the observations of some of our new employees have Mm -hmm. been that, you know, there's no volunteers in the world like Black Girls Code volunteers because their level of dedication and commitment to the mission and their passion just shows through in how they support our program. So we've had great success in terms of getting both new technologists of color, I mean new in terms of being young, younger technologists Mm -hmm. of color that may be in school, that may be in grad school, maybe they're just graduating on their first job, as well as technologists of color that have been, you know, seasoned professionals that have their own company or have been working in the industry for 20 or 30 years that they both come in and do the panels as well as they come in and teach. They come in and, be, and become technical assistants. And so we've had a really, a really good turnout in terms of that and response. So I would say that more than half of our mentors that come into the program and our volunteers are women, and a good percentage of them are women of color. Oh, nice. That's good. That's really good. So with all of the I know you've done a lot of speeches and you've traveled a lot of places to talk about Black Girls Code. From your perspective, 
how do you think we can really increase diversity in the tech community in terms of, I'm thinking partially challenges with identity. And, and the reason that I say that is because with a lot of the people that I've talked to and interviewed, when I talk to them about you know, speaking or mentoring or things like that, there seems to be some sort of a break or a block or a wall or something that is preventing them from really kind of making that step and, and trying to give back to the community. And I don't know if it's a lack of confidence, but certainly whatever it is, is causing a lack of visibility, which is what we're seeing reflected with workplace numbers and things of that nature. Yeah, I think it's a couple of things. I think in terms of just there's often a saying that you can't be what you can't see. Right. I kind of don't like that saying from a standpoint because I, you know, I'm the first to say that I did not know what an engineer was when I, I decided to go to college and, and major in engineering. I certainly didn't know what the, an electrical engineer was or what they may do, but I was still able to force that path. And so I think that it is possible to be something that you don't have a clear path or you don't have a clear role model in, but it's more difficult. It's a more difficult path. So I think mm-hmm. a big part of what our goal is to do is with Black Girls Co. is just to change this image or the persona of what it means to be a computer scientist or what a computer scientist looks like. So we change the image of what comes to mind in the general social conscious when someone says engineering or someone says this person is a computer scientist and that person doesn't automatically become a white male geek wearing a hoodie that that person that we envision can also be a woman of color that person could be also a latina of color that person could be a male student of color so changing that dominant narrative is like part of our mission so and everything that i do and say in the public realm that's the message i'm trying to drive home that we are in this space currently although you don't see many of us and we do have a capacity to have a greater impact in the space. So I think that works on both sides of the coins because I get so many emails. I mean, I had a conversation today with someone who's been in the tech industry for a while and is actually doing his own company now and really reached back to us because they saw what we were doing with Black Girls Code and wanted to find ways to help and to find ways that his company can support our mission and the things that we're doing to, to create this next generation of coders. And so I think we are both having an impact on the next generation as well as this current generation because we're actually you know, putting out a call to action by what we're doing in the space to really create change. I got you. I got you. So I have a question here which comes from the Black Designers United group on Facebook. This question comes from Jacinda Walker. And she asks... Do you see Black Girls Code embracing the STEAM movement, STEAM as an acronym that stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, Art, and Mathematics? And I think the way that she was explaining it was how innovation is coming from art and design, and therefore that sort of, I guess, permeates out into the other STEM fields. Do you see Black Girls Code embracing that at any point in the future? And we do embrace STEAM. So although our focus is really, we have a central focus on the technology side and the technology instruction, we do embrace STEAM. Uh, We do embed the arts in some of our programming classes. You know, some of the programming classes that we do are more amenable to STEAM uh, focus than others. So when we're doing web design, 
there is an arts element to that. When we're doing web application or mobile application design, there is definitely an arts focus to that. Even in game design, you know, that one definitely comes to mind that there's quite a bit of focus on the design element part of what we're doing in our courses. We have not done a primarily arts-focused class as part of Black Girls Code to date. It's more so embedding that focus of the arts in the technology programs that we're already doing. I got you. So basically, it's it's you make it part of the overall curriculum so you're not just sort of singling it out. Like, it's still Black Girls Code. It's not, you know, really Black Girls Design, but design and art are in these other fields that you also teach these young girls in. Yes, absolutely. That's spot on. Now, we do want to do more on the art side and more on the design side. So as we're starting to grow the organization and really build out the fundamental curriculum elements and the fundamental curriculum buckets in the program, we're hoping to have more design-based focus classes in our curriculum. But we just haven't got there yet. But that's something we fully embrace, But both because we know to build a complete company because we're not just trying to create engineers, we're trying to create business owners and entrepreneurs. So we can't leave out the design and the user experience when we're teaching the girls these skills. So we're just looking to find ways to either partner with designers that can come in and teach these classes to our girls or create a curriculum that we can make a part of our program in the future. Now, working primarily with young girls, what skills do you think that someone coming into this industry needs to know? And this can be, you know, technical skills. This can be people skills. What skills do you think are most important these days? For coming into the technology field? Yeah. I definitely feel having a strong focus in both collaborative thinking is the best way that I could put it in terms of being able to conceptualize ideas as a part of a team and then build that idea into a product. So this design thinking focus is key for young people or anyone really trying to come into the field today. Definitely having that design thinking mentality and the ability to think that way in that creative way is important. And then the basic technology skills of knowing some coding, knowing how to code, knowing what the process is, is is another element that is key in terms of coming into the field today. And I would say finally, uh, continuous learning. The field of technology changes so quickly that it's not a field that you can come into, even like electrical engineering. The fundamentals of electrical engineering are, for the most part, the same as they are today as they were 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. It hasn't Mm -hmm. changed. That's not the case for computer science or technology. The industry continues to evolve, and I think that's one of the things that makes it such a dynamic field to take part in. But you have to come in with a a learning mindset and being willing to keep your skills up on a continuous basis or you'll get left behind. Right. You have to, because like you said, the field changes so quickly, you can't sort of rest on your laurels. I know that I think this was maybe years ago, back when I worked for AT&T as a senior web designer. And this was right when they were starting to really make the big shift over from table-based layouts to CSS-based layouts. Mm -hmm. And there were so many designers that were just kicking and screaming, like, you can't make me do it. I don't want to do it. So, But you have to remain flexible because what you knew five years ago, really in this case, almost two or three years ago, 
will be obsolete before you know it. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. So I think that's key. So, like, this is the only field that I've ever, you know, had any, I'm taking any part, taking any part in where textbooks become obsolete in a year or less. And maybe, not, <laughs> maybe not even a year, but, you know, people give me their old textbooks and it's like, we can use this with the kids. And I'm like, we really can't use that with the kids because even though you spent, you know, hundreds of dollars for this book on right. java it, it it may not be relevant to what we're teaching them now so yeah is there anyone or anything that might have stopped you from sort of realizing your full potential i would say just the lack of knowledge so if i had to do it again and even i would say uh, not just from the standpoint of going choosing a career path for myself but even later in my career in terms of understanding all of the potential that the industry had to offer, it was that lack of knowledge. So had I had druthers, you know, I would have jumped into this field as soon as I hit the Bay Area because that was literally eight years ago. So I remember, you know, I've been here to see the companies like Facebook and Twitter and Foursquare and, you know, just start to take off from being very small startup company to, you know, the large industry giants that they are now. Even Google, you know, I would put them there as well. But just didn't know. I didn't know, you know, what the industry was all about and all the potential and all the possibilities, having not been introduced to it at all. So had I not come to the Bay Area and just seen it literally all around me, I would say that I would not be on this path today. So I would say that, you know, no one person, but just a general lack of knowledge is something that, you know, has been, could have possibly been a barrier for me. How do you keep motivated and inspired with the work that you do? For me, it's definitely the girls and that come through our program that keep me motivated and inspired. I remember when I first started Black Girls Code, I was originally on a path to start a startup company, and that was really the circles I was kind of floating in and networking in were other potential startup founders. And I remember, i never forget, I had a conversation with someone that was starting a startup at the time, and this was after I decided to go the nonprofit route and start Black Girls Code. And I was like, oh, you know, doing running a nonprofit is just as demanding, if not more demanding, than what you're doing on the startup side. Yeah. And they're like, oh, no, no way, not even a chance. And it is true <laughs> that, you know, <laughs> three years later that I probably worked harder than I've ever worked in my adult life in this particular business. I really work extremely hard. So a lot of what it looks like from the outside looking in it is I think is deceptive. It's a lot of hard work, but it's worth it. So this is definitely a job that I would do if I didn't get paid. And I did not get paid for a while to do this work because of the benefits and, and just keeping motivated. And what motivates me is seeing girls that started with our program three years ago that didn't know anything about computer programming or maybe only we're just interested in gaming and have now seen them grow into learning things on their own or even dragging their parents to a Ruby on Rails class or dragging their parents to learn Python and doing things in their high school robotics teams and, and just really becoming leaders in their own right. Mm -hmm. What motivates both myself and everyone else that we work with to kind of keep doing the work that we do. 
Have you had any mentors that sort of helped you out along the way? There have been quite a few mentors. There have been informal mentors as well as formal mentors. So I've had the opportunity to meet several other founders that, you know, when we started these various organizations right about the same time three years ago, we were at the beginning of the tech education or tech ed- youth tech education boom, so to speak. So uh, many there are many of us that started our organizations around the same time. So there's been peer-to-peer mentoring that I enjoy on, you know, on a regular basis with some of the other co-founders and founders of other organizations that are working in this space. Then there also been just other women in the technology space as well as men that have reached out to me in both formal capacities as well as informal capacities for with advice as our organization has started to go through these different growth stages. Now let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk more about you. I mean, it'll still kind of be in you know the context of a black girl stuff, but talk about you know you as a person. Are you where you wanted to be at this stage in your life with everything that you've accomplished? Not at all, because I think there's so much more that I personally want to do both with Black Girls Code as well as outside of Black Girls Code. So I really want to see our organization grow to a point where it's a strong, stable, sustainable organization and where we can be a presence across the U.S. in terms of really filling in this gap for educating girls of color. So there's so much more work to be done in that respect, to get the organization to where I think it needs to be. I had a conversation earlier today when I was telling someone, you know, we worked really, really hard for the past three years to get to this point where we finally have, I guess, our credibility built, where Mm -hmm. we have opportunities that are coming to us, where we can finally move the organization in the direction that we envision it to go. Um, But that took three long years of hard work just building up credibility for our programs. And so now those opportunities and those doors are just beginning to open. So we still have a lot of work to do to really take advantage of this time to really grow the program and, and meet some of the needs, the demand that we have. On the personal side, I still have lots more work to do. Not only do I want to see Black Girls Code grow, but I still really have a passion for the health technology industry. So my hope is to finally, soon in the future, be able to really do something on the health tech side or or even do something more in, on the tech side with education, not you know focus on girl, particularly on girls um, of color. Uh, so there's so much more that I would like to do in my career as, as well as things I would like to see with Black Girls Code. Who has offered you the most useful career advice, and what was that advice? I would say, you know, not necessarily a person per se, but just a theorist would be Eric Reese and Lean Startup Methodology. Because when I was starting Black Girls Codes, as I mentioned, I wasn't really planning on starting a nonprofit. I was looking to start my own business. So learning about Lean Startup was really how I was spending my days. And that's kind of how I was like crafting, you know, these ideas of what I might do in the industry. So when I made the pivot into nonprofit, the Lean Startup methodology was still really part of my that dynamic of thinking that I felt a business should follow. And we Mm -hmm. built the organization 
more akin to a traditional startup than a traditional nonprofit organization. And I think really following some of the things, some of the tenets of Eric and Aline, Steve Blank and the Lean Startup methodology have really allowed me to grow the organization and have the type of impact we've had with limited resources. So learning how to run a lean, non-traditional organization has been, I think, some of the best um, business advice, so to speak, or business tools that we've ever had to really you know, help us to grow our vision. What has been your biggest asset or tool uh, to success to where you are now? I would have to say, hands down, the biggest asset for me has been my background and experience. Um, Mm -hmm. Coming from the corporate sector, I believe I brought a lot of experience with me, legacy experience with me in terms of the roles and the things that I had to do in corporate America and, and being able to lead projects and learning how to work with um, cross-collaborate with people on uh, cross-functional teams. All of that was things I learned in corporate America. Um, you never you know, know where you're going to use these skill sets, but right. it's very few things now, even though I continue to run against new issues and new challenges on a day-to-day basis as a founder in ED. Very few that I ha- cannot relate to a past experience in one of my corporate roles. So having that experience beneath my belt, I think, has been a huge business additive for me in being able to lead this organization, whereas I can see others that this is the first time doing this type of a role would be difficult. But having that corporate experience helped me tremendously. Now, you mentioned being out on the East Coast and then moving to San Francisco, but if you had to live somewhere else, where would it be? New York City, hands down. So I spent, I'm from the South, so I still consider myself a Southern girl, you know, Southern born, true and true, but New York is my city. I just love it. I love the energy of the city. I love um, the people in New York. I just love that the kind of that hard knock mentality of you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. And and that's mm-hmm. kind of what embodies New York to me. And it's so culturally rich and culturally diverse. So right. that is, you know, some of the things I like about the Bay Area as well, but it's a bit different. You know, they're two different cities, but similar in many, many ways. But if I had to live anywhere else in the U.S., hands down, it would be New York City. What about worldwide? Is there anywhere else you'd want to live? Oh, absolutely. So I, I'm definitely a big, big fan of both London and Paris. So I've been threatening my teenage daughter that, you know, the minute she, <laughs> the minute she goes to her freshman dorm, I'm packing up all my bags and I'm moving to either London or Paris. But <laughs> for both the same, similar reasons to why I like New York and the Bay Area, San Francisco in particular, is that there's so much energy in those cities. There's so much innovation in those cities. There's so much art. And then there's history. And all those things, I think, really speak to what makes me come alive and what what makes me feel at home. Do you have any plans for the rest of the year? Yes, we do. So this was like an extremely busy year for Black Girls Code. And to be honest, it was busier than I even anticipated. And it hasn't really really been slow for us since we started. But this year, hands down, has been one of our busiest. 
we had a, a really full summer when we were part of the Yes We Code initiative with some of the uh, different organizations going to the Essence Festival and supporting Van Jones' launch of Yes We Code. We had a series of hackathons both before that as well as when we arrived in New Orleans. And on top of that, we had other programs that we were running as an organization outside of that. So we only really caught our breath from the summer, so to speak, about a week or so ago. So we're in a little bit of a down period right now until we start our fall program on the 16th of August. And we're going to then be kicking off another large initiative for ourselves, which is the LaTecla project that we're doing in partnership with the Latino Startup Alliance. And so we'll be doing this series of bilingual workshops focused on mobile entrepreneurship for Latinas um, ages 10 and up in 10 different cities across the U.S. as well as in Puerto Rico and Mexico over the next 12 months. So in addition to our normal Black Girls Code programs in the various cities, we'll be doing this large LaTecla project for the rest of the year. So it'll be a really extremely busy 2014 for us. How do you find time to sleep? (laughs) (laughs) I'm serious because you already sort of mentioned all this stuff you're doing with Black Girls Code and now this new initiative. I mean, you're like the Energizer Bunny. I don't get too much sleep. So I, I, I pretty much persist on about four hours, five hours max. But it's getting better. I think one of the things, you know, definitely a piece of advice that I would offer um, from any business person is to make sure you take care of yourself. It's been such a a fast-paced road for us since we started Black Girls Code that, you know, I've had periods all through the three years where we were just running on fumes pretty much, as well as my team. So we're looking really at, you know, how to really pace ourselves a little bit more or at least give ourselves some time to have that downtime to really rest and recuperate and revive. Um, I don't get a lot of that right now, but I'm looking to kind of take a little bit more time as we're doing a lot of the traveling to kind of enjoy all the places that we're able to explore. So taking it one step at a time. Yeah, set up that that London Black Girls Code chapter, that Paris Black Girls Code chapter, you know. Yeah, yeah. Do it, absolutely. (laughs) So in, in terms of your downtime, like what sort of stuff do you do? What hobbies? Any music that you like listening to? Oh, absolutely. One of the things that I, I use a lot, not even just to relax, but to even to motivate me as I'm doing like really detailed work is, is the music. You know, I'm a music fiend. I love jazz music. I love R&B music. I'm from the South, as I mentioned, so I even love some blues music. I just really, you know, enjoy music a lot. So when I do have downtime, um, I try to get in a lot of music events. Another reason I benefit to living in the Bay Area is a rich music and artistic community. And also doing a lot of, you know, gallery and arts. My daughter is into dance and had danced for several years. So we do a lot of those type of um, dance performances as well as we try to visit a lot of art museums in our downtime and just get some traveling, some relaxing travel. And those are some of the things I enjoy doing in my downtime. Speaking of your daughter, does she also get into coding? Does she kind of want to follow in your footsteps? Well, she is really one of the motivators for a reason that I founded Black Girls Code because it was of her interest in, and particularly game design and game development. But 
she's been heavily into video games and you know for forever so she's like an xbox junkie and uh, Game Boy Junkie from, you know, just really into all these different World of Warcraft, you know, you mm-hmm. name it, that she loves it. She even watches these YouTube videos where people play games, which I can't even understand why you would. <laughs> those are really popular now, those Let's Play videos. Oh They're God. extremely popular. I know from watching her watch them, and I'm just thinking, I don't understand why she watch <laughs> this, but she does. So one of the drivers, you know, motivators for starting Black Girls Code was really to create something where an organization and a program where she could learn to code and not, you know, just consume all this content. And mm-hmm. she's really taken off with that on her own. So she attends some of our programs still, but she even does coding classes at her high school and she's involved in her robotics club at her high school as well. So she's really what I would consider the true coder in the family, as opposed to myself. Well, I say if you if you make it to New York, you should definitely try to connect with Cat Small. Yes, we just talked a few days ago. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, I interviewed Cat a few months ago. Um, she's a UX developer, but she's also very much into gaming, and she hosts game jams and does a lot of stuff like that. We literally just connected, and that is what we're looking to do. We're looking to collaborate on a game jam or a mini game jam with our Black Girls Code chapter there in New York City. So, yes. Oh, look, it's a small world. (laughs) (laughs) Where do you see yourself in the next five years? And this can be, you know, you personally or the organization. I really would like to see myself still in a very prominent role with Black Girls Code in five years, but more so on the founder side. And really having a strong team that can really lead the organization and all of its programs that at that time I hope will be all over the U.S. as well as in the Caribbean and Canada as well as in Europe. And I would like to really be leading a series of additional businesses both on the for-profit and non-profit side. Doing some things in the field of technology, doing some things with health technology and really, really driving um, this issue of getting tech or using technology as a lever to create change in communities. And now for people that are out there listening, what is the best way that they can find you online, they can get in contact with you, they can volunteer for Black Girls Code, things like that? Sure. We would love, you know, with the full program roster that we talked about for the rest of the year, we are always looking for opportunities to connect with both technologists and coders and designers to help us to really execute these programs across the cities that we're we're tapping into this year, as well as sponsors for our programs in various cities. So they can reach out to us via our website at www.blackgirlscode.com. They can also reach out to us on Twitter at Black Girls Code. We have a Facebook page at Black Girls Code Org. And just by email at future at blackgirlscode.com. That's our general mailbox, and they can reach us at that email address as well. All right. Kimberly Bryant, again, this has been been an amazing honor just to talk to you about the work that you've done with Black Girls Code and, you know, just your personal story and where you want to see the organization going. I can tell you if there's anything that Revision Path can do, from our I mean, I know we're just a podcast and a website, but if there's anything that we can do just to help out the mission and the things that you're doing, whether it's 
posting about events or whatever, I mean, please feel free to let me know. We would be happy to do it. Oh, thank you so much for having me on, Maurice. It's been a great pleasure speaking with you and look forward to working with you in the future. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Kimberly Bryant for talking with me and thanks to you for listening. Right as we were packing this interview to publish, we heard that Black Girls Code just received a donation of $190,000 from Google to help further their mission of teaching young black girls, which is pretty damn awesome. Don't forget to thank our sponsors as well, MailChimp, Betwixt, and Portique. MailChimp reigns supreme when it comes to email marketing, and their support has really helped keep Revision Path going, so you should definitely check them out. Head on over to MailChimp.com and sign up for a free account. Betwixt helps women in design connect with their people, and you can sign up for their 21-day challenge and gain free access to Cultivate, a course on developing meaningful relationships with the indie designer. If you're serious about growing your design business, then take the challenge today. Learn more at betwixt.is forward slash teaching. And if you're in the Columbus, Ohio area this weekend, check out Creative Control Fest and sign up for Portique. Bring your best work and show them what you can do. Meet with industry pros and get constructive feedback on your work and valuable advice. Provision Path is a 318 media project. If you like what we're doing with the podcast and the website, you can join Betwixt, Portique, and MailChimp and contribute. Go to revisionpath.com forward slash donate, where you can put a tip in our tip jar, sponsor an upcoming episode, or join at the $5 fist bump level and show your ongoing support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.